0: Today's episode is brought to you by The Mass Man Show. It's the biggest time of the year for professional wrestling, and all this week, David Shoemaker is previewing the WrestleMania matches with a couple very special guests. You can subscribe to The Mass Man Show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Ringer NFL Show. My name is Robert Mays, I'm a writer at The Ringer. And we're doing more draft stuff today. We're digging into what I think is probably the more interesting position group in this entire thing. It's going to be the defensive linemen as a whole. You know, The edge rushers or the headliners with Miles Garrett, a couple other guys. But even the interior players, I feel like those barriers are falling a little bit, especially with this group. And we're going to get into that. You should be checking out all the draft stuff on RingTheRinger.com, please. Danny Kelly's second mock draft came out today. Go take a look at that. He wrote about Garrett last week. We're going to be rolling out our stuff continuously over the next month or so. It's getting here faster than we even think about. So please do. Today, we're going to be joined, I'm very excited to say, by Charles McDonald, who does great work for BR1000. He's a draft nerd of the utmost. He and I have talked about this stuff a lot, and we wanted to make sure this happened. Charles, thank you for coming and doing this, man. Oh,
1: thanks for having me. I've been, uh, I've been pumped about this all day long.
0: I, I I appreciate that. I'm not sure you should be, but that means a lot to me. I'm, gl- I'm glad you'll be bringing the fire here. All right, so let's start where I, I think is the only place we can start, and, and that's with Miles Garrett. And coming into this entire process, he seemed to be the guy. You know, he was the number one pick nominally from the time we started throwing out names, and nothing that's happened so far has changed that. He really destroyed the combine in about as complete of a way as you can. I mean, he test, He weighed in bigger than you would think for most defensive ends. He was 273 pounds at 6'4", and everything he did in the testing stuff was off the charts. If you look at his mock draftable octagon, it's just green. I mean, there is no white mm-hmm. surrounding it whatsoever. So he does seem like this generational talent from an athletic perspective. Is there anything that you've seen from him that makes you think he isn't deserving of the number 1 pick?
1: No, and I, I mean, I... I think that it's a fair for you to question whether Cleveland should take a quarterback or not at that spot just because, you know, they've they've never really had a guy there since they moved back. But Gary is so good. I mean, coming from high school as a five star recruit, the number one recruit in the country, he really lived up to expectations. And like you said, at the combine he blew the doors off and he has the production to, you know, match the hype. Uh, the only thing that I would see on film is sometimes when he's kind of rushing around the edge, he doesn't use his hands as well as he could, but you're not going to pass up a guy that athletic, that productive, who has no off-the-field issues if you think you can coach that into him. And, I mean, if he's producing without the best hand technique and hand placement rushing the edge and just kind of being a dominant force... You're going to take that at the top of the draft every single time, especially in a year where there doesn't really seem to be a top consensus quarterback at, at number one.
0: And even last year, it was one of those things where you didn't mind them trading out from one because, first of all, you knew those two top teams were taking quarterbacks. And there wasn't a guy like this last year. You know, Bosa was a guy that I really liked, but there were questions about him in a lot of different ways. Those questions were obviously bullshit, and I was wrong to have them because the guy's a superstar already. But there were athleticism stuff with him. It wasn't this. It wasn't this generational guy where you say, well, we can't even risk getting out of one because we want this guy. It's better to have him. I feel like it's almost one of those things where you shouldn't even think about it because the Browns aren't a quarterback away. And there isn't that no-brainer quarterback this year where you say, well, we have to take this guy because... That's a more important foundational piece. This guy is probably a more foundational piece than any of the quarterbacks that are available, right?
1: Yeah, I agree. And even when you just watch them move through the combine drills, it kind of reminded me of like when you're a teenager kind of starting to grow into your body and becoming a little bit more athletic. Like when he was running the 40 yard dash, he got a 4.64, 4, and I thought he was going to stumble over and fall half the way through. And when he was running through the drills, he looked a little bit clumsy. So I think he's still kind of. Figuring out how athletic he is, how powerful he is, and once he gets that fine to an NFL coaching, I, I think he's going to be an absolute superstar.
0: You talk about the hand play, hand usage, and there are more fine things that he probably needs to just chip away at. That's what development is for. I mean, that's what coaching is for. When you bring in a guy, he's not a finished product. And we think that about second, third round picks, right? These guys that are maybe a little more raw, and you have to build them into what you want. That's the same thing for the number 1 pick. It's just that the ceiling for the number 1 pick is higher than it is for those other players. You, this guy isn't what he's going to be. A year from now, six months from now, eight weeks into the season, but he doesn't have to be. The idea that he has everything you want to work with—that seems plain as day. So, it, I don't—I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's just by the time we get around to it, it's a consensus. Like, there is no shock whatsoever when he get, is the number one pick. We know it going in.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would feel confident saying now that he's yeah. going to be the number one pick. I, I, I just don't really see why you would trade out of the number one pick if you're Cleveland and you already have. You know a few guys in your front seven that can play and Danny Sheldon and Jamie Collins and Christian Kirksey And you know even Emmanuel Agba had a solid rookie season So just to add Garrett to the bunch would really start to build a nice young ferocious fast front seven for the Browns
0: And we talked to I mean looked at with Von Miller and there's some front seven players that can really just take you where you want to go There are pass rushers that can be the basis of a championship-caliber team. That's how good Von Miller was. There's no reason to think that based on what we've seen from Miles Garrett and what the just measurables, tail-of-the-tape stuff is that he can't be a similar force. So it's not as if you have to... I mean, you need a quarterback to do a lot of things, but there are still certain types of pass rushers that allow you to overcome... A not perfectly built offense or quarterback backed team because of how good they are, and that seems to be the type of guy he is.
1: Yeah, man, I think that's where the Browns are heading. You know, when you don't have a quarterback, what do you do? You got to beef up the trenches. So yeah. they go out and they sign Shredder from the uh, the Packers. They sign Zyler from the Bengals, and now it looks like they're going to take Miles Garrett with the first pick. So if you don't really have a quarterback, you might as well be strong in the trenches. And I, I really like what they've done so far this offseason.
0: So let's transition a little bit. I want to get to the guys that are also considered, you know, top five caliber picks, the people that may go right after Miles Garrett if there is no quarterback taken, if nobody moves up or down. And that's Jonathan Allen and Solomon Thomas. Those are the two guys I feel like are being mentioned the most in that range. And I feel like they're worth talking about together because they're similar to me in this specific way. I don't know what where this lines are drawn, where the edge players stop, and where the interior players begin with a lot of the guys in this class, because if you watch both Thomas and Jonathan Allen, they play a lot inside. I would say that, for the most part, I saw Solomon Thomas play, or I saw Jonathan Allen play as like a six technique on the outside more than Solomon Thomas did. And Solomon yeah, Thomas is the guy that people are like, "Oh well, he's the edge guy." You know, Jonathan Allen's more of a defensive tackle. We didn't see that from Solomon Thomas at Stanford. He was a five technique defensive end a lot, or further inside. So there's some produc- There's some projection issues with both of these guys about where they're going to play compared to what they did in college. And the first things first is very simply, which of them would you say you prefer?
1: Man, I, I've been thinking about this. I mean, since the end of the combine, I think it comes down to: Do you prefer a guy with a high floor and a lower ceiling, or a guy mm-hmm. with, a uh, suit like, upside through the roof, but you know, the media returns might not be so great? So with Jonathan Allen, we're getting three years of production in the SEC. You know, former five star recruit, everything that you want from a production standpoint. But then he goes to the combine and kind of has has a, a so so workout, and it kind of makes you wonder well, how good can this guy be? And, but Solomon Thomas, I thought he was kind of miscast in that Stanford defense. You know, they had him playing, like you said, five tech and uh, four eye, which is the inside shoulder of the tackle. And really what you want that guy to be able to do is be, you know, a force versus run and hold the point of attack strong. So, you know, the linebackers and safeties behind them can just clean up. But in the NFL, you don't really see guys, Solomon Thomas size doing that. You know, the only guy who is around 280 that's uh, playing that role well is Aaron Donald and there's only one Aaron Donald so I, I think Solomon Thomas is a guy that uh, if you have an established defensive line like I- I've-, I've, been- I've been thinking about uh, Solomon Thomas going to the Carolina Panthers where they already have Vernon Butler Kwan Short, Starlo Tulele and he can just kind of kick him to the edge and kind of play mix and match that way but I-, I-, I just I don't really feel comfortable having Solomon Thomas hold uh the the four down inside but i think that he can be a dangerous pass rusher i mean when you look at his his athletic comparisons he's almost an identical athlete to justin houston so i think you gotta you gotta put him on the edge and let him kind of go through his growing bumps and figure it out from there but if you want somebody who's gonna come in day one and give you steady production but you might not see you know the peak of Solomon Thomas, then you got to go John Allen. I, I have them graded uh, very similarly. I think it's just a uh, personal preference.
0: I feel like the same way, and the high floor, low ceiling conversation is the right one in my mind as I watch both of them. And this is the difficulty in scouting. This is why this stuff is really hard because when you watch Solomon Thomas play, you have to see the movements he makes on tape and say, okay. Those are cool. I'm impressed by what he's doing. He's clearly a very athletic person, and not just that, but a good football player, a sound one, somebody that's stronger than he looks based on his size sometimes. But he's not doing the things we're going to ask him to do. So when you're envisioning him as a top 10 pick, as a guy on the edge where you are forcing him to bend and turn the corner and do things he didn't have to do very often in college, there's a bit of imagination there. You have to be creative in your understanding of what he can be as a football player versus what you see now, with Jonathan Allen, it's less so. He's not played a ton on the edge, but he won't be asked to do that in college, or in the NFL. So you've seen him play all over the line. You've seen him make those sort of movements. It's easier to say, this is what he can do. With Thomas, it's more difficult just because it's tough to envision a guy making a movement when you've never seen him do it. It really is difficult.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you, but I think with, with Thomas, when you have a guy that's that athletic, sometimes you can just kind of see, you know, if if your guy's that athletic, he's that productive, and he doesn't have any off-the-field issues, he, that's a, those are guys that are usually going to go in the top ten, and I, I think we've, we've kind of seen uh, guys with his architect get hyped up, like last year with Robert Kandichi was kind of the same way, mm-hmm. you know, Candice had comparison. 20 pounds on him. Uh, so, but Kandich, had you had know, the off the field stuff and he was falling out of windows in the shade. So he ended up going to the bottom of the first round to Arizona. And I, I think Thomas is probably going to go higher, but it, sometimes you just got to take a chance on an athlete. And with the top of the draft this year, you know, some of those teams don't even need quarterbacks. And I, I think I could see a team like Carolina, where if they feel they're close, get back in the playoff contention, just kind of take a gamble on a guy like Solomon Thomas and, have him learn with Julius Peppers and Charles Johnson until he's ready
0: to take over. And let's be clear, I'm, I'm being playing devil's advocate a little bit when I'm talking about how worried I am about his projection. I, the, the guy is really good, <laughs> and he's crazy athletic. He it was a play against Arizona yeah. where he was. There are times where he would play outside, but even when he was outside, it was more in the guise of getting him to twist. He didn't just tear off the edge very often. They were used him in games when he lined up that wide. He had twists against Arizona that he got there in half a second. It's like good. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like watching a guy teleport. It's incredible. So that's the type of stuff. When you see that, it's like, well, we'll teach him how to do the stuff we want him to do. But it's, it's interesting to me that how these guys are used in college is just so different than how they're going to be used. And that's what makes scouting difficult. And he's one of those guys where you see all the things he can do. And even if you don't totally understand what he is yet, you'll figure that out later. Jonathan Allen is a guy that... You know, he was considered I, to most people, I would say the second best defensive player in the draft after Miles Garrett coming in. He did not test well. I mean and that's one of those yeah. things where does that worry teams? So you look at some of his numbers. He had a 108 inch broad jump was in the 14th percentile of defensive ends. He had a 30 inch vertical 17th. Everything else is really bad. I mean he is not moving well for a guy at that position and then you have to ask the question, how much does that matter? Do, is what he's done on film, is the player he's been in the best conference in college football, on the best defense, is that the trump card over everything else that we've seen from the way he's moved around testing-wise? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if you just say, eh, we can totally ignore this stuff, or if it has to play into your thinking a little bit.
1: I think it does have to play into your thinking a little bit, but it's hard when you see a guy do it for— now, we're coming on three years where he's yeah. just been an absolute beast for Alabama— it's hard to just kind of turn away from the tape like that, but the numbers, they, they don't really come back. If you look at, you know, mock drafts, comparisons, they don't really come back with any special players. So, I mean, before the combine, I was kind of playing around with the comparison with Adrian Claiborne just because, you know, they're both heavy-handed guys and they can play inside and out. But even Adrian Claiborne tested way better than, uh, than Jonathan Allen did at the combine. So now you're kind of looking at, okay, so what's a more apt Athletic comparison and it's a guy uh from the Detroit Lions, Kerry Hyder. And Kerry Hyder, he played well this year, but you know, if you're gonna get a guy who peaks out to be Kerry Hyder, is that worth a top ten pick? That's and my question. I, I
0: guess, that that's right, where I'm that's going with question. that. Is it, it's even if it's Adrian Claiborne, even if you say I plays faster than Claiborne does on tape, the testing so if that's even that's the comparison, would you take Adrian Claiborne in the top ten of this year's draft? And the answer I don't know if it's yes. So those are the things that you have That Those things concern me. And I I don't know. I've started to lean more toward testing as I've gotten further along, just because I do believe that the ceiling on players does come down to some of those athletic traits. You can get a guy who's a really good player, but if he doesn't have those athletic traits, then you're totally limiting what he can be. And when you're taking a guy in the top 10 or even the first half of the first round... I feel like it's really hard to concede from day one that is not a superstar. That's difficult for me out of the gate.
1: Yeah, and uh, my, my uh, friend Justin Mosqueda, he's done a lot of research with the Force Players Project that he does where he measures uh, athleticism, mm-hmm. um, and he's really able to filter out who's going to be good and who's going to be bad uh, based on the combine scores. And when you look at like how pass rushers hit in the draft, you need to start really thinking about them like quarterbacks almost, because when you look at the bottom, like the second half of the first round, these guys just aren't hitting like the guys at the top. So you need to take guys who have the best chances to be superstars. And when you look at the contracts that they're going to be making uh, versus the contracts they'll get on their second deal. So if you can get a guy like, let's use Von Miller for an example where he came in and, you know, he had what, four years or five years, $25 million contract. And then he gets that extension, it's like six years, hundred million dollars. You need to get that production from your superstar before you have to go and destroy your cap situation for him. So, I I think you need to take a gamble on the athlete and uh, see if you can get him to be an elite player. So, I I could definitely see Jonathan Allen taking a little bit of a tumble on draft deck.
0: I'm just thinking about so many of the guys that were solid college players. But just didn't have it athletically, and it kind of hurt them in the long run. You're Courtney Upshaw's of the world. You know, you're you're a first round yeah. pass rusher that just he plays. You know, he's still in the league. He does all right, but he's never he's never been good. He's never been great just because there are there is that kind of baseline. And one of the guys that I'm thinking about in kind of a similar way this year is when I watch Derek Barnett play. I, I watch him and. He's impressive. He's a really good football player. He's incredibly productive. Derek Barnett from Tennessee, by the way, which probably be considering it's been like two weeks since I knew who any of these dudes were. I should probably be more <laughs> open with all of you guys listening about who plays for which team. So Derek Barnett went to Tennessee. He broke Reggie White's sack record at Tennessee. I mean, the guy's a double digit sack guy for three straight seasons. And when you watch him play, it's like, oh, he's a nice player. You know, he's really thick for a defensive end. He can hold up well. He bends well. He's just he's very natural. And then you like actually start thinking about it. It's like, if I took that guy with the 12th overall pick, what is he going to end up being? It, based on just how his athletic traits stack up to truly transformative, transcendent players. And that's when I start to worry. I don't know. What do you think about him?
1: I like Barnett. I mean, it's kind of like the, the same conversation you can have with John Allen, where yep. the athleticism isn't great there even though Barnett did have a really good 3 cone time which kind of uh, matches up with his game where he, he, yeah. he's not an explosive player but if he times the snap well he can bend around
0: the corner He trained, he's very so, flexible uh, to I, change direction very well
1: yes and I think that's a guy that will probably end up in like the top 40 picks and if I'm let's say I'm the, the Saints at 32 now after training away Brandon Cooks. If you can kind of put a guy like Derek Barnett across from uh, Cameron Jordan and Nick Fairley and Sheldon Rankins in the middle, that's okay. But if you're at 12 like the Browns are, and you're taking Barnett to be one of your leadoff pass rushers, that's that's where you lose me a little bit. I like him as you know a third guy who can come and be, be a rotational guy. But if you're asking him to carry the load for you, that's – going to be an issue
0: for you. It's a really good point. I didn't think about that. Just in how you pair the pass rushes you already have on your team with the guys you're drafting. And if a guy is a foundational guy or if he's a complimentary guy. And I think about kind of what the Bears have done with their two edge guys, ideally. Like, Pernell McPhee and Leonard Floyd couldn't be more different they're actually right. the opposite player. I mean McPhee is incredibly strong. He actually athletically lines up with Jonathan L a little bit. They, he, they're not explosive. they just they have these this, these powerful bodies they can they affect games in that way. and Leonard Floyd weighs less than me. So I think that that's kind of, it's interesting. <laughs> so you pair these guys that have these complementary traits as a way to come at teams differently, to understand that you know both of your sides of your defense are a little bit different. I like that. And I think Barnett is one of those guys. If you have more of a speed guy that can really be a terror and you want somebody that's just a consistent productivity guy, then I think Barnett makes sense. It's almost like... What Terrell Suggs later was later on with Elvis Dumervil, like they're very different. So you can find complementary but differentiating pieces like that. I do think the ceiling of your defense gets a little bit higher.
1: Yeah, I agree. And you know, I, I think there are a lot of those guys in this class. Once you get past you know Miles Garrett and Solomon Thomas, where a lot of those guys are, where can we put them on our defense that adds a little bit of flavor to our defensive line that we didn't have before? So I mean if you even look at uh, I mean I use the Falcons a lot because I'm unfortunately a Falcons fan. But they um uh, they mix and match them with their defensive linemen and they figured out, you know, if we put Adrian Claiborne inside next to Dwight Freeman or Vic Beasley, those are really, really productive situations for us. And uh you can even look at what the Panthers did where sometimes uh they would do you know, run twists up front. So however you can make your make the ceiling of your defensive line a little bit higher is always uh, a plus, but you have to value the traits that you're getting. So uh, a Miles Garrett, that's somebody that can be your leadoff pass. You know, a guy like Derek Barnett, he can be productive, but you don't want him being your number one. So it's kind of how you, you see the prototypes on your defensive line fit and how you would like it to piece together.
0: All right, before we get to some of the second tier guys in this year's draft, let's take a break and talk about podcasts. Some people still don't get podcasts. What's out there and how to listen. You can help change that with a click. Right now, think of someone you care about. What podcast would they really love? Got it? Now do it. Hit the share button on the bottom left of your screen. If they don't know how to listen, offer to show them how. Tell us what you shared with the hashtag tripod. T-R-Y-P-O-D. Thanks for spreading the word. So let's just kind of go on from you know the bigger names that we've, that we've talked about, the bigger names that everyone's talking about, to some of... The flavors that you've enjoyed so far as you watch some of these guys are there are a couple guys that have stuck out to you That in that first second round conversation that are more the style that you tend to prefer
1: Yeah, two guys. I really uh, I, I Really enjoy watching Charles Harris from Missouri and uh, Another guy who people may not know Derek Rivers from Youngstown State now when you look at uh, Charles Harris's uh his combine workout compared to his pro day workout he his combine was really bad, but he somehow was able to improve on uh, a lot of his numbers at the pro day. And, you know, people say, Oh, well, you know, the pro day, that that's a a situation where these guys are going to thrive. But he improved his jump by five inches and he had, he had a better three count time. So I, I tend to think that he's a better athlete than he showed at the combine. And, uh, Derek rivers from Youngstown state, that dude is just, he's, he's a freak. Like, he, uh, he, If you look at his web on dot com, he tested in the uh, at least 80th percentile for almost all the critical tests, which is 40-yard you know, dash, uh, broad jump, three cones. So when you watch him at Youngstown State, obviously the level of competition is a little bit down, but you can see, okay, this guy is athletically... You know, has the potential to be an elite NFL pass rusher just from an athleticism standpoint. And you look at how he plays the run; his technique is really good, his hand placement is really good. He's a really refined player. So I think when you kind of compare uh, guys like Charles Harris and Derek Rivers, and like those are guys that you probably want to be your complementary pass rushes. But even those guys can still be valuable. So when you uh, just looking at uh, Derek Rivers, his storyline kind of reminds me of Javon Hargrave from last year, where. He comes out. He dominates FCS football. Goes to the bowl. Goes to the All Star games. Dominates the competition there. Goes to the combine. Blows it up there. And then he has a stellar rookie season. And we're kind of seeing the same trends from Derek Rivers. So honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to see Derek Rivers go in like the top forty or even slide to the back half of the first round, just because he has all the things that you look for, except you know the brand name of the school. And Charles Harris, I think he, I think he's going to be a solid pro. He's already got a really nice spin move down. He's got a light and quick first step. And he, he just really understands the nuances. And he's a really natural pass rusher.
0: You don't have to sell me on Charles Harris. Trust me. As a, as a proud Missouri grad who's even prouder this week after Michael <laughs> Porter Jr. news, I Charles Harris is just the next guy in line for me in what has been a pretty ridiculous run of pass rushers that they've been able to manufacture. And here's, I feel like those guys have come out and played well and even somebody that hasn't tested well, Marcus Golden tested like crap. I mean, He was not very good in a lot of the measurable stuff, and he came in and had a really nice career. They're different players. I think that Harris is more refined as a pass rusher now than Marcus Golden is. He relies way more on power than Charles Harris does. But those are the things when you don't necessarily test incredibly well, but you have some nuance to your game, and that's exactly what Charles Harris has. I like people that know how to rush the passer. And that's exactly what he knows how to do. He's been able to do it for a couple of years. He's been able to do it in a myriad of ways. So the Derek Rivers situation is interesting. I watched him because you told me you liked him. And I started watching him a little bit. And it's like, yeah, this guy just knows how to play. He anchors against the run really well. He's just involved in a lot of plays. I liked him. It's now a question of, do you like him more than a lot of these guys who have had reasonable production at big-time schools? And that's the question that people have to ask themselves is, what he's done as a, okay, all-star game production, combine production, these normalizing factors that we always rely on, has he done enough to put himself on the same level as the rest of these guys? I don't know the answer to that quite yet, I'll be honest.
1: Yeah, I don't know either. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how these guys play in their rookie year because I think that I can count at least, you know, Eleven or twelve, off the top of my head, that I think would be producers as rookies. It, I think it's just going to be cool to see how they stack up with their draft stats compared to how they actually produce their rookie year. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Derek Rivers is one of the top sack artists for rookies uh, this season.
0: And that, yeah, it's going to be a lot of guys that get shots because these are so many of these players and. They're going to make up a huge majority of the first and second round, it looks like. I mean, based on everything we've seen so far, there's just a lot of talent at this position that high in the draft, and those guys are going to get chances for the most part. You know, we're seeing players play early that are playing this position. Even a guy like Daniil Hunter, who was as far back as you possibly could be in terms of the football elements of it as a rookie, halfway in he was playing and he was making things happen. He was being productive. He was making an impact. So these guys, if they can play right away, they usually do. And it just seems like so many players from this class are supposed to be of that ilk.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, I, you know, it's going to be really cool to see on the, on the, you know, turn of day two and day three where, These guys like you know Terrell Basham and Son Hall and uh, even maybe a guy like Taco Charlton fall if he falls that far. Uh, I'm I cannot wait for the draft because it's it's interesting. Like last year, we had a really good interior defensive line class in. The edge class was okay, and this year, you know, we have a lot of guys who can produce from day one. And the interior defensive line class is so-so. So, so, so. I, I'm really excited to see where these edge guys line up, and especially, you know, we have some big names like Tim Williams and Carl Lawson, who I, I can't really get a good grasp on their stock right now, but I think they're both solid
0: football players. So let's talk about a couple of those other bigger name guys before we get out of here. Let's knock a few of them off. Taco Charlton, I want to talk about because his name is Taco, and if we don't talk about him, I feel like I'm missing an opportunity. <laughs> I don't know what he is. And he is, if we're talking about those guys that have more of a defined ceiling in my mind, just based on athletic traits and explosion and how they can affect the game as a pass rusher, I'm not sure there's a better example in this class than him. You know, a dude that's up near 280 and, you know, doesn't have that monster first step that really worries you. He's somebody that I just think is a football player that is very solid. But if he's some, you're looking at him in the first round, that stuff worries me. I, I just don't know what he eventually could be.
1: You know, he he reminds me of Kevin Dodd from last year a little bit. Where Mm -hmm. they're not—they're not uh, violently explosive players, but they do, you know, a lot of things well, and they're kind of you know smooth players. If you go back and watch uh, Taco's game versus Ohio State, you know, he's just gliding around that right tackle all game long, and I I could—I think that uh, if you get him to be your number two end, that's fine. I. Would not take that in the first round i i, I think he's going to be a productive player and and i'm rooting him for him because his name is taco and i've been <laughs> i've been a fan of him for about <laughs> i've been a fan of him for about two years after i just noticed uh you know oh, who's his number three beating up on penn state's offensive line and then i went to his uh twitter account and he had the same plays up but he had taco photoshopped over his face as he was going over the plays it was it was really funny so i'm, I'm rooting for him to be uh, a productive pro and I, I think if he's your number two end that's fine but I, I don't, I'm not even sure if he's the best guy coming from that Michigan State defensive line this
0: year. You like Wormley?
1: Yeah, I, I'm yeah. a big Wormley fan.
0: Yeah, <laughs> this conversation is fantastic. The names involved here. No, you know what? I'm not a taco guy, but I love Wormley. We're just Wormley over taco <laughs> all day. What do you like about Wormley?
1: Wormley, he's he's a big athletic dude, and he he's he's played every single spot on that yeah. Michigan defensive line. You know. It, Edge, uh head up on the tackle, nose tackle, three tech, wh- whatever they ask him to do, he's been relatively good at it. And he didn't work out at the combine, but his pro day the other day. He he ran a four eight at two hundred and ninety seven pounds and he had like a thirty three inch vertical and his his three cone time was hovering around seven seconds, which is just freakishly good times for somebody that size. And he's he's got the pedigree as uh he ple who's as a guy who's played in two different systems and had a lot of success and a lot of production. So I, I, I think that Wormley is going to end up being a really, really nice starter in the league. I wouldn't be surprised. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he's the best player off that Michigan defense from this year's draft class.
0: Wow. That is a Julius Peppers, or Julius Peppers, that is a Jabril Peppers couched (laughs) comment, which I I, I know that's what it is, and so hopefully you will upset some people with that. Let's talk about a couple of the more linebacker-centric guys, dudes that aren't going to be in that 270-pound range, but are still edge pass rushers. I would say that my favorite player out of this entire group, just in terms of what I think he could eventually be, and how much he flashes to me on tape compared to these other guys, is Tim Williams from Alabama. And Obviously, we're not talking about the Solomon Thomas group, but in that second tier collection, the mid first round and back. And what makes me say that is because when we talk about all this other group, you know, whether it's the Taco Charltons or the Derek Barnett's, people that pr- can probably be your secondary pass rushers, but because of where they are athletically, maybe will never be your number one guy. When I watch Tim Williams, that's I think the opposite of that. I don't know how stout he's ever going to be against the run. I mean, that's not how he's built. That's not what his style is. But when I watch him absolutely roast offensive tackles in a variety of ways, he's not somebody that's just winning with speed. He hit a spin move in an Alabama. I think it was against Texas A&M, or maybe it was against Tennessee. I was trying to watch Jonathan Allen play, and I just couldn't because Tim Williams kept doing this ridiculous stuff over and over again and was distracting me, which is a problem in watching Alabama's film. When you're trying to watch one guy, I just get distracted. Every It's like, ooh, shiny. And I just can't focus (laughs) in on one dude. And it's amazing. And he he does that kind of stuff. He has counters off whatever his speed moves are. And that's the type of thing where, all right, I don't know how many plays he can be on the field. I don't know if he's somebody that can be there on early downs. But how he's going to be able to affect the game from a pass rush standpoint there's just way more there eventually there's it can there can be way more there and that type of stuff is more attractive to me than a guy i know is going to be on be able to play 70 plays a game
1: yeah tim williams is so you know he, he's polarized enough for that combine because i thought going into the uh, or at least not into the really in the combine but at the start of the season i thought he could be you know like a Bruce Irvin Vic Beasley type athlete and then I watched a little bit more and I, I thought he was a little bit less athletic than those guys but still I thought you know he's gonna have a really good combine and he came out and had a, a good 40 yard dash four six eight, and the broad jump was good too but his three cone time and shuttle times weren't great and yeah. for a guy that's only 200, 244 245 pounds you really want to see good times there But when you when you turn on the tape, he's just he's winning in so many different ways. You know, when when uh, when Leonard Fournette was having trouble rushing the ball against LSU, Tim Williams was a big key to that rush defense that weekend. It's clear that he's so talented, but you know you hear the rumblings of there's some stuff going on behind the scenes with him. So I I I think just based off talent, I, I would be fine taking him the first round, but. The history of the guys who are his size and test his way isn't great. I mean, his his top uh, comparison is Yannick Ngakwe, who had a solid rookie season for the Jaguars, but that's not a first-round player, you know? Uh, Here's the thing, though.
0: When you watch what Yannick Ngakwe did, Yannick Ngakwe is a better player today than Dante Fowler is. Oh, oh, easily. I, I mean, it's, it's not even close. So that's the thing. He was drafted. When you can get that sort of production from a guy that you took in the third round, I believe, why isn't he a first-round pick? Why isn't the way he played? If you had taken him in the first round last year, and he played the way he did as a rookie last season, are you disappointed? I
1: don't know. You're, I mean, you're thrilled, because he had... That's what, what I mean. Or four, uh, strip sacks.
0: I mean, the guy made an impact. I mean, you took a guy third overall that hasn't done jack since he's been in the league. He's a guy in the third round that's been that good. So was he worthy of being a first round pick in that moment? No. But when you've seen his production so far, I don't mind that at all. That that's a first round pick in my mind. <laughs>
1: yeah and I mean Tim Williams could definitely end up being that guy I mean we were just talking about the Tennessee game in that game you know he had the spin move he had some bullet rushes he had some moves where he you know started out and then ducked back in and got a sack on Josh Dobbs so yep. he, he wins in a lot of different ways I think he's better versus the run than given credit for I, I I just have no idea where he's going to land because if he had tested well I would have said you know he's he might be a top 10 pick where his floor is 12th to Cleveland, but he didn't test well. And like I said, you hear some stuff about uh, why his playing time kind of dipped in the middle of the season at Alabama. And, you know, there, there there's some question marks there, but he's one of those guys where it sounds kind of hedgy and dumb to say, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's, you know, a pro bowl level guy, or I wouldn't be surprised if he just kind of sucks out. Right.
0: And there's somebody, one of the other guys that just seems to run the gamut and, where how where he could go, the way it could go. Jordan Willis from Kansas State, who has no concerns. I mean, Bill Snyder loves the guy, and if Bill Snyder loves you, then you're probably the greatest human being who's ever lived. I, I mean, just there's nothing better you could be than if Bill Snyder's like, this is my guy, because Bill Snyder is a wizard who I love to death. And what Jordan Willis did at the Combine was crazy. I mean, outside of how Miles Garrett tested, he was the other guy that really destroyed this entire thing. But then you watch him play, And again, there's a contrast with watching Tim Williams play, because he doesn't look natural. He doesn't look like he knows what he's doing. He's not smooth. It is more herky-jerky as he plays. So then you're thinking, as a front office, as a coaching staff, all right, this is a guy who is 6'4", 255, and his broad jump was 125 inches, and he had a 39-inch vertical. Watching him play, he's not the most natural. Can we teach a guy that athletic how to play defensive end and get after people in the NFL? And I think a lot of teams, when it comes time, will say yes about a guy with those sort of traits.
1: Yeah, I agree. Well, I watched Jordan Willis before the combine, and because uh, I I seen some people talking about him, and I just wanted to kind of get a feel for the guy before he went out and, and tested. And I was not expecting him to do what he did. You yeah, know, that 40 yard dash absolutely blew me away. And then the, the the recon six eight five was that was faster than when Vic Beasley ran at the combine. So that kind of made me go back to the tape and look. So I, I I went back knowing what I had for his athletic numbers in mind, and it's I think it's there. He just not doesn't have the most consistent technique with it right now. So when you watch him uh, bend around the edge or you know try to rush a pass off the edge, one of the problems he has is that he ends up behind the quarterback far too often when you look at his athletic profile you say this should never happen to a guy like this uh going against some of these big 12 tackles but when you kind of slow it down a little bit and rewind it you do see if he's able to kind of clear his chest and get his hands free he does have the athletic ability to turn the corner but i think that's going to be something that he really has to focus on like it doesn't come as natural to him as it did guys like you know Vic Beasley or Bruce Irvin or even Tim Williams this year it's it's something that he's gonna have to work at but if he can figure it out those like we've talked about before guys that athletic and that big they're 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 probably gonna go high in the draft
0: yeah absolutely one more guy I wanted to not just touch on before we get out of here uh he has a very famous last name and it's probably somebody we should discuss TJ Watt who I don't know man you know watching him it just he's he's a try hard guy he's not very athletic I'm not sure what's going to happen with him in the draft That's not true at all <laughs> he, t- he, he, he he tested out of this world good at the combine He was fantastic I mean in a way that in all actuality exactly like his brother was I mean it's not the same just in terms of he's not nearly as big so it's not quite as just staggering looking at some of these numbers. But in the, his brother was incredible at the combine. He, he had one of the better combines in recent memory. And while TJ didn't do that, he did everything you want to see an edge rusher in the NFL do from an athletic standpoint. And when you combine that with the fact that his production has been pretty decent, I mean, he's somebody that probably made himself more attractive to teams in the last month, for sure.
1: Yeah, and I I did not, like, like Jordan Willis, I did not see him coming out and just blowing it up like that. And uh, I I, I guess, you know, that's definitely going to boost his stock some. I still have questions about, you know, how strong he is because he does tend to get bullied, like, versus Ron. And if his first move doesn't work, sometimes uh, the tackles will just hold him up there. But, you know, teams are going to take gambles on these guys that are that athletic. And with the last name Watt and, you know, the work ethic that's supposed to come with that last name – He's probably going to be a, a top forty pick, and you know it's funny. Like I was looking at his, uh, his their their other brother, Derek Watt. I think he's a fullback for the Chargers. Yeah. Even he, for for a fullback, he tested out of this world, like a- athletically. I don't know what they're feeding those kids at the Watt House, but all three of those guys for, for the position they play are just unbelievable athletes.
0: I mean, just whatever's in the water in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, man. I and mean, <laughs> when I'm there, I always feel a little bit stronger. I don't know. All right, man. That's all we got. I uh, I sincerely appreciate you doing this. This was fun. It's always good to nerd out about this position because it probably is my favorite thing to watch in the entire league. I know that I'm an offensive line nerd as well, but just the nuances of pass rushers, what makes them good, what doesn't. I mean, it's one of the harder positions really to get a handle on ever, and it's a good group. It's a very good group to watch this year. So thanks for doing this, man. Uh, hopefully we can do something like that again. All right. Thanks for having me. We'll be back next week with another spot. Again, make sure you go to ringer.com, Check out Danny Kelly's Mock Draft 2.0. Check out all the draft coverage we're going to have over the next month or so. And as always, I really appreciate you guys listening. Talk to you soon.